For me, fashion is a verb. So it's true fashion. You're listening to Wardrobe Crisis with Claire Press. Join me every week as we look at sustainability, ethics, and the business and madness of fashion. Series 4 is brought to you by the Climate Council, together with Spell and the Gypsy Collective, through their 1% for the Planet partnership. You can find out more at climatecouncil.org.au, and we'll share some more info in the middle of the show. How is everybody? I've been working over Easter, putting together this story on fashion supply chains and coronavirus. We've changed our regular schedule of Wardrobe Crisis episodes to bring you this special report on how garment workers around the world are being impacted by COVID-19. I hope you'll find it valuable and help me share it. If you could tell your friends and colleagues, your schools and share it on LinkedIn, I'd be delighted. You can find me on Instagram and Twitter at Mrs Press. And I've also reissued two past episodes from series one that are directly related. So I suggest you listen to them as a bit of a mini series. You can start with this one, then go to part two on living wages and part three with Kalpona Akter. The fashion industry, like many others, is being severely impacted by the shutdowns. Now, you might argue that the sustainable business is the one that survives Business of Fashion just put out a coronavirus update that spoke of a Darwinian shakedown that's accelerating the decline of companies that were already struggling before the pandemic. An unwelcome word that's entered our lexicon? Furlough, meaning temporary layoffs. Now, there are brands that are looking after workers. At the top end, Hermes, for example, has committed to maintaining the basic salary of its 15,500 employees worldwide, while brands like Patagonia and Nike are some of the names that are paying retail staff while their stores are closed. However, as you know, many retailers are standing down workers without pay. But as usual, it's the worst off, often further down the supply chain, who bear the brunt. These are people who don't have safety nets to catch them, whether in the form of savings or insurance, a benevolent employer or adequate government welfare packages. And some, of course, are undocumented, those working in the shadows of fashion supply chains. Even factories with very good ethics who want to do the right thing are struggling. You can't pay workers if you've got nothing in the bank. So who should foot the bill? What are the obligations for big brands who've made enormous profits out of a fashion system tipped in their favour? This story first came to light with Bangladesh, the world's second biggest garment-producing nation with around 4.1 billion garment workers, most of whom are low-paid. Between March the 21st and 25th of 2020, 316 apparel suppliers in Bangladesh responded to an online survey by the Centre for Global Workers' Rights. And they told of mass cancellations of orders that were either entirely or nearly completed. According to the Bangladesh Garment Manufacturers and Exporters Association, that's the BGMEA, As of the 7th of April, there were 953 million ready-made garments for export worth about US $3 billion that had been cancelled. Here's Dr. Rubana Hook, who is president of the BGMEA. She published this message on March the 23rd. This is a time when we've all come to a halt. Your stores are closed, you're closing. Our factories are about to close. We will have no business Most of all, we will have 4.1 million workers literally going hungry if we don't all step up to our commitment 
to the welfare of the workers. I think this is one call that we all promised to take long time ago. And I think while we tried to change our labor narrative, while we tried to engage with all of you, one thing was very, very clear, and that is our foremost responsibility was towards the workers. We are a manufacturing country. Our reality and your reality are totally different. But it is not a time to point out differences. It's a time through which we need to work together. And there is no alternative to that. I'm not going to question you on your decisions. All I'm going to do is I'm going to appeal to your good senses so that you kindly take all your current goods which are under production and which are ready. Please take them under normal payment terms. And then if you have any which is uncut, uncut fabric, uncut anything, kindly allow us to also go ahead. If not, give us the CM portion so that we can at least compensate our workers' salaries with that when the production time comes. Otherwise, if we don't have that support for the next three months, we will be having 4.1 million workers literally out on the streets. And this is a social chaos we cannot afford. Neither do you want your reputation to be at stake, nor do we want to be facing such an anarchy at our end. The current fashion system, as we know, squeezes large numbers of marginalised workers at the bottom of the supply chain. Millions of them, mostly young women, mostly in the global south, earn a pittance to make our clothes. Many eke out a scant living, without sufficient income to put a decent roof over their heads or good food on the table, let alone make provisions for changed circumstance. You've probably seen the harrowing news footage of large numbers of migrant workers trying to leave major cities ahead of the lockdowns. Coronavirus threatens to sicken and displace marginalised workers, rendering vast numbers destitute. Now, I asked the journalist Elizabeth Klein, author of Overdressed, the shockingly high cost of cheap fashion, for her take. And she told me... It's garment workers, it's the most vulnerable people in the supply chain that often pay in times of crisis and they don't have a safety net. So they're heading into one of the most historic, consequential economic and health crises of our lifetimes without money that's owed to them. To me, it's an outrage. Um, I'm really angry and I think that brands are legally and morally required to pay this money to factories. What would you say to brands or to commentators who say that these extraordinary, unprecedented times means that brands have no choice but to cancel orders because they can't open their retail stores? I think that the fashion industry, you know, most brands are doing quite well. A lot of the brands that have canceled orders are brands that earn between a half a billion and two to three billion dollars in profit annually. I don't believe that they don't have the money to pay for these orders. I think what they're doing is pushing the financial risk onto factories and onto their supply chain because in other circumstances, they could get away with it. People would just not care. But what coronavirus has done is, I think, brought labor rights to the forefront and people are much more sensitive to and paying closer attention to the needs and the human rights of essential workers, which I'm going to include garment workers in that group. Bigger picture, do you think this is a watershed moment? 
I absolutely think this is a watershed moment. I would be surprised if the brands that are canceling orders, if they, one, do not ultimately end up getting sued or even taken to court for human rights violations, because what's happening is these workers are getting laid off and they're out of work without paychecks in countries that don't have unemployment insurance and don't have a safety net, partially because of decades of cost-cutting from brands. So brands aren't just responsible for causing these garment workers to lose jobs. They are responsible for emptying the coffers of countries like Bangladesh and Cambodia who can't support them. So the problem goes very, very, very deep. And I think that the public gets it in a way that they wouldn't have before now, and that people are fired up and ready to see a big change come out of this. And this is Bangladeshi labor activist Kalpona Akter. She reminds us that it's not only money that's worrying workers, but also their health and fear of reprisals if they catch the disease. Everything changed so dramatically, so quickly in the last 10 days. It is so difficult to absorb everything and take everything together. In one way, the workers are fear about their safety. Many factories did put like how to do the hand wash and they put soap and water and give a mask that would be help workers to not inhale the dust, but definitely not the one who will be protect them for infecting from this virus. You know, before 10 days, there wasn't even that much information about this virus towards to the worker or not the mass people in the country. Uh, we are one of the country who doesn't have the medical system, I would say. It exists, but we really don't know that whom for. Uh, there is only one hospital who do the examination these days who doesn't have the adequate kids to do the even examination whether people, uh, you know, inf- people have been infected by virus or not. So it's a huge fear going on within the worker. And then it is so unclear for us whether our workers will get the paid leave or not. Like last seven days or last 10 days, we are, uh, me and other organization was so much back and forth with the BGMEA with government officials from DICE and Labor Ministry to understand that whether they're going for a closure and also to make sure that our workers are paid, they have money in their hands when they're going to home. Some of the workers telling us that they heard or some of them themselves, they call that they had a flu or they had fever, mild one, but they have told to stay at home. Some of them got paid leave and some of them not. Some of them just fired, says you shouldn't come back. We heard in a very rare cases that workers got infected by the virus, especially two of the workers who went to India and came back. And, uh, you know, when they went to buy the medicine, the the medicine corner just called the police and they handed over to them. And we really don't know what happened to those workers because it's very limited information we can get. Aisha Barenblatt's organisation Remake has been campaigning to make brands take responsibility. Their Pay Up petition, in collaboration with the Clean Clothes Campaign and the Workers' Rights Consortium, launched on change.org on March the 24th. And at the time of recording, which is Easter Monday, April the 13th, it's got nearly 5,000 signatories. You can join supporters, including me. 
Elizabeth Klein, Arizona Muse and Amber Valletta, and organisations like Fashion Revolution in using the hashtag PayUp on social media and tagging brands who you know have been slow to respond. And you know what? People power, right? It seems to be working. More brands are now promising to pay for cancelled orders, but the work doesn't stop there. Aisha, thanks so much for making time to join us from San Francisco. Do you want to begin by just telling us about your organisation, Remake? Thank you so much, Claire. I'm thrilled to be here. I am the founder and CEO of Remake. We are a nonprofit based here in San Francisco, California. Um, and essentially what we at Remake do is three things. The first is really focused on transparency, holding the fashion industry accountable to its sustainability claims. So on our website, remake.world, we vet brands, uh, giving our seal of approval to brands that are truly embracing our values of environmental sustainability and human rights. The second thing that we do is a lot of education work. And we have a made-in docu-series where we go undercover into dye houses and mills, um, cut and sew factories to really put a human face on the frontline communities that are impacted by fast fashion from a climate justice and a women's empowerment standpoint. And then finally, we do a lot of leadership development. So it's really getting women to wear their values, to buy less and buy better. Can I just ask you really briefly about your own background in this area? Yeah, so I am Pakistani-American. And so in many ways, you know, when we think about the impacts of fashion on women, it's very personal to me. I grew up in Karachi, which is a production hub where a lot of our clothes come from. I actually have family in the industry who's run garment factories. I myself have worked in the industry for some 18 years, working both within brands to help them build their sustainability strategies. I was also with Better Work, which is part of the international labor organization working more on the policy side where essentially we brought brands, government and union to the table to improve working conditions. And I found a remake because I realized there was a seat absent at the table. And that's all of us, everyday shoppers being a part of the solution. So much of fashion's bad behavior is hidden from us. So just really quickly, how do you feel when you watch this current crisis unfold? You know, I... On one hand, it's not surprising as we've seen so many brands turn their backs on workers, the women who are really the backbone of this industry, because we had seen similar behavior when we've seen you know, industrial disasters in the past, whether uh, Ali Enterprise or Tazreen or Rana Plaza, that often brands have a long history of pointing fingers other, way, other places rather than taking accountability. I'm also hopeful that perhaps this shakeout will finally push the industry towards a reset, towards the kind of fashion industry that's really thinking about our natural resource constraints, that's thinking about the climate crisis and about the people that power this industry. So, you know, uh, history has told us that may not be the case, but I'm an optimist. I'd like to ask you to give us a bit of context for those who are not across exactly how the system works. So brands will place orders with suppliers or partner factories. What happens then? Talk about the time lag. Yeah, so I think one of the things for listeners to really understand is how much the responsibility and the cost pressures are pushed down the supply chain. So the fashion industry is very fragmented. What happens is brands and retailers place orders, and it's very common in the industry to say, we won't pay you for 15, 20, 30, in some case, 60 to 90 days till the product is shipped. 
And so what that means is manufacturers or supplier partners have to front the cost of material, which is the most expensive part of the equation. They also have to front load the part of labor. And then once the product is made and shipped, they have to wait for the invoices to be paid. And obviously, because we operate in such razor-thin margins within the fashion industry, um, that's a lot of risk that you put on factories. Obviously, as the pandemic started to spread and you had retail stores that were shuttered, online sales plummeting, brands and retailers were in difficult financial circumstance. But one of the things that they did, which is really where we're focusing on you know, ensuring that we hold them accountable, is that for orders that were already produced, so where factories had already spent the money to buy the materials in March, as well as pay the workers, the orders were ready to be shipped. Brands use this, you know, sort of very hidden piece of their contract called force majeure to say, because of COVID-19, because of the pandemic, we're not going to pay for these orders that you've already produced um, because the circumstance has changed. Have you heard of force majeure? So it's a legal construct and it's this idea that If circumstances were unavoidable or unforeseeable, then you're not liable. Think of it like a calamity clause. And companies can invoke this with something like COVID-19. Now, there's a really good blog post I found on Business and Human Rights Resource Centre, and we'll share a link. It's written by two advisors from the Harvard Kennedy School. But they talk about how H&M, for example, did not choose to invoke force majeure and they did agree to pay for these garments that had already been produced or were in production and to pay what was previously agreed. And the writers say that that's how other brands ought to be behaving and that COVID-19 is not an excuse for brands to invoke this clause because basically it makes them morally bankrupt and they're not going to come out the other side looking very good. (laughs) And they write, by triggering force majeure clauses to halt payments to suppliers with vulnerable workers, companies risk losing their social licence to operate. In a post-pandemic world, they will be judged by how humanely they handled this crisis. There are six brands at this point that have said that they will honor the current contracts. And the thing that we've heard again anecdotally from some of our supplier partners is that some money is starting to flow through, which is a big relief and a win. Okay, do you want to just rattle through those brands? Because one of them is Zara, so Inditex, one of them is H&M. So the brands that have said that they will pay up include H&M, Zara, Marks & Spencer's Target, Kiabi, which is a French brand that owns a few others underneath it, VF Corporation, and PVH. So that's the holding company for Calvin Klein. The non-responsive brands include Gap. Who else? Who else is now on the target list? So on the target list is uh, American Eagle Outfitters, CNA, Kohl's, Bestseller, Tesco, Walmart, and Gap, and Urban Outfitters, which we just added today. And again, some of this information is coming piecemeal to us from suppliers where orders are being cancelled. Maybe these brands are already dealing with their suppliers and saying, bear with us, we are going to pay you, we need to figure out a plan. How much do we know? How much are suppliers willing to disclose? Because presumably they don't want to jeopardise ongoing relationships. How hard is it to dig into this information? 
It's really difficult, you know, and I think it's to understand that for so many manufacturers, for supplier partners that are hurting right now to come forward, particularly to talk to media, they, they don't want to jeopardize their buying relationships in any way. You know, they're sort of hanging on to the hope that should the industry weather this storm, that they'll be able to go back to these buyers. So this puts suppliers in a really uncomfortable position, really back against the wall. There's a few suppliers talking to us out of Cambodia and Pakistan and Bangladesh, some on deep record, a few willing to be named, um, you know, leaking correspondence from brands and such. But this is why for us as activists, the information is really coming piecemeal. And, you know, even for the six brands that are saying they'll pay up, you know, one of our questions remains, well, how quickly and how much? And will it be fast enough, knowing that factories are already starting to shutter, knowing that workers are already, you know, walking back to their homes and villages and then coming back the following week to see if they're going to be paid or not. Can we just talk briefly about CNA's statement? I thought it was interesting. They they came out with the following. They said it's important to acknowledge that no single company can deal with the economic repercussions for the production countries alone. We're in talks with other industry stakeholders, they said, including other brands and the ILO, the International Labour Organization, and they're trying to find ways to work together to mitigate the impact. Okay, fine. Now, when I read that, and I should say that CNA's got a reputation for being a really one of the good guys, one of the ethical ones. The CNA Foundation does some extraordinary work in sustainability, for example, separately. But when I read this, I was like, okay, this is what brands always say when they try to disclaim responsibility for workers, don't they? They say, well, we don't own the factories. So, you know, Mm -hmm. we've got to work together and it's very hard. Mm-hmm. I mean, these were almost the exact same. It was like deja vu from the times of Tazreen and Rana Plaza. You know, it's like now I'm going to just march off and absolve myself. I mean, the thing to recognize here, Claire, is that we're not asking for charity or handouts. You know, this is just about good business practice. The pay up campaign is just about paying your bills for orders already produced. And so I find it very telling that, you know, the statement talks about the ILO or, you know, you've had some brands talking about, well, what about the government and they should be handing out? I mean, it's sort of to say that I've put in an order and now I'm not going to pay for it. And somehow someone else should take care of that mess. I called Mustafa Zuddin, owner of the denim expert factory in the city of Chittagong on the southeastern coast of Bangladesh. Mustafiz is a sustainability leader who's talked at the Copenhagen Fashion Summit and organises his own sustainability conferences back home. Denim Expert was the first Bangladeshi business to join the Sustainable Apparel Coalition and the ZDHC, acting on hazardous chemicals. They've worked with the Ellen MacArthur Foundation and signed up for the UN Fashion Industry Charter on Climate Action. But all that hasn't saved Mustafa's from cancelled orders from some brands. He's been doing the right thing for years. Surely it's only fair that his partners return the favour. I have a garments factory in Chittagong. We have around 2,000 people. We are making denim and jeans. Um, we are the um, first member of JDSC and also Sustainable Apparel Coalition. And uh, we are the signatory of UNFCC. So sustainability is our main uh, prime factors. And we, we believe in sustainability. How has Denim Expert been impacted by COVID-19 and the shutdowns internationally? 
th that is the most sad part no that is what uh, my fellow manufacturers are now attacking me and they all are uh, calling me and uh, asking me mustafa where is your sustainability now because you have to understand a few things my position is totally different than any other people why because i was always a voice of sustainability as i am explained to you i was the first signatory of different sustainable initiative from all over the world uh, and uh, i was a one kind of face of sustainability in this region and uh, i also running sustainable apparel forum uh, you know this was a one of most biggest sustainable event in this part of the world yeah. we had done two times so for me the now the manufacturers are calling me and everybody asking me oh mustafa is what happened where are you where is your sustainability goes now because uh, uh, due to the cancellations and all these things people are very much upset have you received order cancellations of course i received order cancellations i received uh, orders not to ship i am not receiving the payment i don't have any future order also for next three months so for everything is happening with me wow. and uh, that is what i am asking uh, <laughs> i don't know how, how this i will be answering to my fellow colleagues now fellow manufacturers because i was a voice of sustainability and today i have this position then what happened to others and also i'm asking myself i mean what how does this really valuing myself and my ethics and my my morality yeah, i'm also very much upset for that so you have basically been a pioneer you've staked your reputation and done all this work on sustainable practices but right now you're still dealing with orders that have been cancelled worrying about your employees not knowing when the orders are going to come back and having no set time frame with which to work i mean it's a very difficult position there are three things happening first of thing is whatever the goods i had shipped i had not get the payment so how do i pay my worker if people is care about the worker so much then why they are not paying i don't understand this i had been requesting to them please even don't pay for my material or my profit anything just give me the money to pay my worker i had shipped the goods in february and today is april i had not got paid we talked earlier on this episode about the problems with goods that were either partially completed or completed but yet to be shipped but mustafa you're saying that these are goods that have already been sent and you're still having problems yes already shipped the goods on february 10th and today is april 10th according to my contact the i should get the money within 7 days of the shipment so the goods arrived in united states in march 10th and today is april 10th i didn't still got the payment is this something fair with me and not about me how about my workers if people what should i say to my workers how can i tell them that my partners my respected buyers my sustainability leaders are not paying me now they are not the, the the cheapest people they are not the primark if sometime we talk about that okay primark and some small guys are doing who are not sustainable but they are the all sustainable leaders if the sustainable leaders are behaving like this where we will go i lost my interest i lost my faith i am i really don't know uh, if maybe the business will overcome but how i will overcome from these things mentally i do i will be able to speak that loudly again? in copenhagen again in london again in new york i don't know whether my voice will be that loud anymore or not because i really 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 ask very much upset about the situation i didn't get paid what i shipped then i got a cancellation of the order then i have full factory of the lots of goods and there is no space in the factory to keep the goods and then 
I don't have the future order also uncertainty is there. So there are three things is affecting me. No payment, cancellations of the order and no future order. When uh, we started to getting one by one cancellation, 17 March, we got first cancellation of 50,000 pieces jeans from UK. Then we got a second cancellations um, from one client on 22nd of uh, March. And then 23rd, 4th, we got almost all goods um, cancelled, which is ready or not. But then I see that um, uh, the COVID is increasing in Bangladesh. And I say to my team, can you please close the factory? Then my team said to me that, sir, if you close the factory, then we have to pay full money and we don't have any money to pay the salary. What we will do? I said, I don't mind it. I don't know how to how to get it. But I really wanted to let the factory close. So 25th, we are the first factory that we just closed the factory and we said, okay, there's not a layoff to the factory. Full salary, uh, all the worker will, will get paid and then I give them the leave and till now the leave is going on. So they are getting full paid and all these kinds of things. I would like to urge you one thing. I would like to tell through you all the peoples in Western world. My dear friends, when these workers are getting even the full salary, 100 euro, 150 euro, each of the people having five family member in their family, just think of it, 150 euro is enough. And today, if we give the layoff and we, we just let the worker like that, they will get Get just 50% or 30% of the salary. So 30-40. Tell me one thing, my friend. 30-40 is enough for the worker to live with a five-people family. It's not enough. I will not come out from my responsibility. Would you be willing to share any details of brands that have not made payments? See, first of all, is uh, I am the only person who is t- uh, telling the truth and uh, telling in front of the press, media, the names. I would like urge to you, to all the manufacturers around the world, please come up and tell the truth. People can only help you when you come up and tell the truth and how long you will be hiding this truth. If we don't tell the truth, we will not overcome this situation. So I would like to tell to you, like in the Guardian, I had already told uh, Peacock had cancelled my 50 to 60,000 pieces of jeans, which is already produced in my factory. Arcadia had been cancelled my 2.5 million to 3 million dollars of orders. They had been cancelled. All these buyers are doing this with me. Are you nervous about speaking out and jeopardizing future relationships or you have no choice? See, I was always a person who was always vocal. If we look into <laughs> yeah. the memory of Pakistan Summit, and uh, I also, ethical purchasing practice was my fight from long before. Pressure is there. Pressure is there. Uh, <laughs> my friends all over the world are calling me. Some of my customers are upset because I was. I am telling that. And uh, most of the customers are telling why you need to tell all these things. Nobody is telling these things. But uh, I'm not afraid of, I, rather than that, I feel proud uh, on myself that and, and yes, what will be happened? What will be happened? I will be out of the business. Let me out of the business. Let me die. Let me lose everything. But let the world change. I really, we really need change. We cannot hide anymore all these problems. And one of the things people think that this problem is in Bangladesh. I would like to tell to you, people in Pakistan, India, Sri Lanka, Morocco, Tunisia, Egypt, Everywhere the same things happening. No buyer, no retailer is cancelling the orders only in Bangladesh or no retailers or buyer asking the discount only in Bangladesh. They are asking all over the world and the, all over the world manufacturers are really helpless, really, really helpless. Believe me, I don't want to attack anyone. I don't want to hurt anyone. 
anyone. I don't want to make happy anyone. I just want to tell the truth. And I think we, if we accept the truth, any changes will be coming when we will be togetherly accept the truth and then we can solve this problem, come forward. Really purchasing practice need to be solved. If we care about the workers a lot, lot, lot. Sustainability is not only the environment on carbon. Sustainability starts also with the human. If these humans are not there, we all have to be accountable in our next generation. When we talk about the buyer, look, everybody is not same. There are also a lot of good buyers are also there. Look into H&M. They had been uh, respected the contact. They had been taken all the goods. They've been ethical. And everybody is not same. But my fight is not against of, of the buyers or retailer. My fight is against of the bad purchasing practice of unethical buyers. Perhaps we might end on what you would like to say to brands and to consumers and how you would like the system to change? First of all, I will tell to the brands and retailers, please, 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 please think tomorrow. I know you all have a very difficult times. You shops are closed. You have a fixed rent. There is no sales in the store. I do understand. We do understand this. But please behave responsibly. Sit with your partners. Call him. Ask him. How can we help? How can we work together? Don't simply send a letter to a manufacturer. It hard. It hard a lot to us because we are your partners. We've been working for you day night. How can you do this with us? How can you just simply send a letter? Your order is cancelled. Don't do this. Call to us. Discuss with us. See to it togetherly. Every problem in the world had been solved by discussions. When Rana Plaza happened, the industry changed. Why? Because Rana Plaza happened. And from Rana Plaza, we turn out most unsafe to now we are most safety manufacturing country of the world. So I think for any changes, there is some incident. I think from COVID-19, we should take some lesson and take it positively and change our reconstruct our industry and we we should we should take it positively okay what happened what was wrong how it went but unfortunately we forgot all these things when we passed the things and then again any problem happened we started to talk about it we should not do like this way we should solve this problem this time these purchasing practices are not the problem this time only it was a problem from earlier and about the consumer, I will say that I'm more upset with the consumers because consumers really need to take some responsibility and don't need to tell only about their sustainability. We care. They, they should be thinking about the brands and retailer who is not paying to the workers and workers' lives are affected. So next time when they go to shopping, they go for purchasing anything please do not only look to the price look also to the brands and retailer who are ethical and also remember one thing everything have a cost if you talk a lot about sustainability and then when you go for a shopping you just buy the cheap products then where the retailers and brand will go and how they will take care of us we we can be taking care good by our brands and retailer when consumer you will purchase a ethical and sustainable product with a sustainable and reasonable price. Don't go for the cheap one. Difficult time will go, but memory will stay in our mind. The ILO warns that COVID-19 and its ramifications have already affected 81% of the global workforce in the most severe economic crisis since the Second World War. This is not just something that's happening on the other side of the world from you. I asked Remakes Aisha Baron Blatt what's happening closer to home. 
You know, a lot of the issues with pay up you're seeing right here at home in California. There are 45,000 garment makers right in L.A. Um, we had a conversation with the Garment Workers Center who's on the front lines, really trying to unpack what's happening there, where it's similar behavior of brands cutting and running, factories shutting or prolonging workers without paying them, workers who are even making protective gear, PPE, without having the right protective gear or social distancing themselves. Um, their relief campaign is literally going door to door to deliver groceries to the people that make our clothes in LA. Marissa Nuncio is the director of the Garment Worker Center in LA. She confirms that the American industry is also feeling the pinch. We've seen quite the impact. It's been pretty severe and pretty quick. You know, we've been keeping in touch with a little over 100 of our members, and um, we did an, like an immediate needs assessment about three weekends ago. And if that tracks, and it usually does track pretty closely to what's going on in the industry, I would say we're seeing about about three-fourths of the industry is just unemployed. You know, their factory is shut down. It may have gone to like reduced hours and then within a couple of days to just that's it. There's no more work for at least a month or at least two months. And and understandably, factory owners probably don't know, you know, how long it's going to take to get up and running and what's going to happen. So, of course, the workforce in those factories, you know, are are left not knowing as well. You know, garment apparel, is it seen as an essential job at this moment under our safer at home orders, you know, or shelter in place orders? So we just had folks lose their source of income immediately and, you know, I think what's really hitting me as I think about, you know, the what we're doing to respond is that, you know, I've worked with a number of different low-wage workers over 20 years. And when things are slow in an industry, it's tough. It's really tough. But in a non-pandemic time, folks can usually, they might, through word of mouth, they're going to find another job, Right. Or they may switch over to another industry for a minute, maybe to domestic work or maybe to daily, being a day laborer for a while or to a restaurant or car wash, you know, but that's not possible right now, right? That, that sort of like flexibility and kind of, you know, hustle that folks have to do what they need to do to work, that's not possible right now. So folks just do not have an income and the anxiety level is pretty high and like, what's going to happen? We're seeing a tremendous amount of food insecurity. We're getting messages every day from folks that just are struggling to get groceries. We're raising money for an emergency relief fund. And um, we're also fighting to get, um, you know, a large part of the workforce is undocumented. And what that means is that folks who are undocumented in this country who are providing really important labor millions are left out currently Mm -hmm. from our system of unemployment. They are not eligible for unemployment benefits. And they are also currently left out from the federal relief packages that will be coming out. Mm -hmm. Um, They're just left out. That means they are not going to be taken care of in terms of income replacement or relief. This is Paulina, a garment worker in Los Angeles who is making clothes for Fashion Nova. Hi, everybody. My name is Paulina Miguel. I lost my job when, when coronavirus started, and the company told us that I work with my mom. Both of my parents are garment workers. They told us that they were going to close down, and they were going to open it until April 20. But we just heard that the company didn't really close. They just told us that some of the workers, we, we need you guys' help. 
because we're not working, we're not paying rent right now. We've also been looking at the Cambodian garment industry, which employs close to 800,000 people and accounts for 16% of that country's GDP and 80% of their export earnings. Now, before the spread of the virus outside of China, factories in Cambodia were already feeling the impacts because they couldn't get fabrics. Now, of course, they're being impacted also by cancelled orders. At the end of March, the Cambodian Prime Minister compared the times to those of the global financial crisis of 2008, when many factories and industries went bust. He announced that workers who'd been temporarily suspended should get 40% of their basic minimum wage from the factory and 20% would be covered by the state. Now, that was a couple of weeks ago now. I asked William Conklin, who is the Cambodian Country Director for the Solidarity Centre about this. William, what's the situation in Cambodia like right now with garment workers and the shutdowns? Well, it's dire, I would say. It's, I mean, the, the outlook and the current situation are not good. Um, it's, not, it's similar to probably other countries that have had a very large export garment uh, worker populations. Uh, Myanmar, Vietnam, Indonesia, Bangladesh, certainly. India, et cetera. Unlike the others, Cambodia already was, the garment sector was in trouble because they were going to get hit by um, sanctions from the EU, which would, they had a a special trade uh, status called everything but arms. And so they could get garments and footwear into the EU tariff-free. And then now there was a, going to be a tariff applied because of uh, political and human rights issues uh, the government had. Yes. They're already on the back foot. They've also been dealing with fabric shortages from China since January, right? Yeah, yeah. So the government has tried to put together some sort of package in around so workers might get around $70 for two months. So the, that's in comparison to what the minimum wage would have been, which is right around uh, $190 to $200 a month, which is already very low. So that $70 really isn't going to get very far, but it is something, I guess. But the government only has it for two months. So they were thinking they had put this package together for the material shortages, which you mentioned. They weren't thinking about the whole collapse of orders ahead of time. So we don't know how long that will actually you know, last. They're, the government is trying to put a good face on it and say and order workers and, and factories not to close. But if you don't have orders, you're going to close down. The unions are obviously one would like the, uh, and it's not just a, they have, they have messages for brands. Brands have to honor the orders they've made. Brands have made you know billions of dollars obviously every year around <laughs> in the global industry um, in profits just you know and uh, but the downside of this production platform or, or paradigm we've seen for you know thirty years or so has been that you know brands can get away with saying they're not manufacturers you know they're just brands and they're not their workers. But it's basically it's a commodification of labor work. So, so they they take no responsibility. Um, unions also want the government to help up, step up to help ensure you know continued payments to workers, continued where workers are laid off permanently. They have they are entitled to their severance and termination. The other thing is going to be health care. Because you, there's a government-sponsored healthcare scheme that's under the uh, National Social Security Fund, and all workers are supposed to be registered on that, right? But once you lose your job, you then lo- would lose access to those healthcare benefits too. Over a long career working in neighboring countries, so Thailand and where else have you worked? Uh, Vietnam, Sri Lanka, India, Pakistan, to a degree, yeah. 
So neighbouring countries and across the world, um, mm-hmm. we talked before about maybe comparisons with the GFC in 2008. What do you think, with your long view on this, is the roadmap out of this for fashion? Well, I mean, the big question is, is are things just going to go back to a new type of normal? But I mean, sort of with tweaks and things, I'm not sure. Is this the end of fast fashion, which would probably be a good thing? just in terms of sustainability, in terms of the pressure it puts on workers and factories. It would be great if that was the end of the fast fashion uh, and we had actually more seasonal predictability. You know, because for consumers, garments are one of the first things they jettison in, in terms of financial crisis. It's not just Cambodian workers. It's workers throughout the world trying to get work governments working together with international financial institutions. The money that all these large corporations have made, brands, they have to, uh, I think, come together and try to create some sort of uh, relief fund for the uh, for the future. Um, you know, because the one thing you don't want is mass unemployment with people with no money, with shortages, et cetera. That's going to be a recipe for social unrest, et cetera. Nobody wants that. And plus you have the health crisis, right? So the health aspect of it. So I think working together, unions, government, uh, brands, I mean, in Cambodia, you can do some, but there's there's so many external factors involved. So you really need a global effort, a regional effort. And there are some, I think, just some talk. The ILO is talking. The ITUC is talking. Uh, various other initiatives are going forward. But I think, I think for me, for me, it's those that have made the most money over the years have to step up. This story is evolving as more brands respond to pressure to pay up. Primark, for example, has just established a fund that it says will cover the wedge component of the orders it has cancelled. But systemic issues remain beyond these orders. Overstocked brands facing retail shocks are just not placing orders for next season. McKinsey expects a large number of fashion companies to go bankrupt within the next 12 to 18 months. So inevitably, some factories are going to shutter. Remember what I said about the most severe economic crisis since World War II? Obviously, we can't solve this in a podcast. But I did want to finish by asking Aisha from Remake what she thinks needs to happen longer term for the fashion industry to emerge stronger and more sustainable from this. At a fundamental level, the brands have been really short-sighted here, right? They've essentially imploded their very fragile supply chains by saying that we're not going to pay up. And so a lot of factories are shattering. People are going to get sick. Workers are going to leave without pay. And so the supply chains are going to be ravaged. And so whether we're looking at the fall or the spring for some of these brands that don't file for bankruptcy, that are able to weather the storm, um, how are they going to cobble? back together their supply chain that they've essentially with this behavior decimated. And, you know, I think this pandemic is a really good example for us to be thinking about who are the brands that are really going to be resilient from a supply chain standpoint with the climate crisis right here? Because, you know, we are going to have unpredictable weather patterns. We will have other pandemics in our lifetime. And so for the brands that are thinking about suppliers truly as partners, that are investing in workers as assets rather than cost centers, my hope is that they will rise like 
phoenix from the ashes versus the others will just go away. And, you know, my hope is that we also start to be thinking of fashion more as a service delivery model, that, you know, this is an explanation of just the natural resources that we are depleting with fast fashion and putting out product in an ill-disciplined way with these very fragile supply chains Mm. that ends up in landfills anyway. Um, We can't afford to do that as a human race anymore. And so who are the brands that are going to be thinking about the secondhand market in a better way, in thinking about rental in a deeper way? You know, I think we really do have to be thinking about keeping clothes in generation longer um, and thinking of supply chain as an extension of your company. Now it's getting hard. My parents feel that this is a waste of time. I don't know because everything is just fine. My friends don't feel that I'm defending you. I tell them all that they are wrong because I love you. Thank you for listening to Wardrobe Crisis. To learn more about our guests and the issues that we've spoken about today, hop on over to my website, which is clairepress.com forward slash podcast. You can get in touch there and I really hope you will. I'd love to hear from you. And you can also find links to my social media. And finally, if you're enjoying the show, please head over to iTunes and subscribe. You know what they say, first in, best dressed. Subscribers are first to find out when there's a new episode and it also helps other people discover wardrobe crisis. So I'd love your help with that because the more people who switch on to ethical fashion, the better. Music is by Montaigne. She recorded this special acoustic version of Because I Love You, which is from her Glorious Heights album, especially for Wardrobe Crisis. How good is that? Thank you, Montaigne. Because I love you, my parents feel that this is a waste of time. I tell you we're okay, I won't admit that I am blind. My friends don't feel that I'm carrying a steel. I tell them all that they are wrong. Because I love you, because I love you. Because I love you Because I love you